Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning. My name is Steve. There was a Steve here last week. I'm a different Steve. I'm Steve Bryant. And uh, your pastor, Brian, asked me to fill in for him today while he's, he's away. And what a privilege to be here. Thank you for letting me be with you guys. It's awesome. You guys are doing a great job here. And I'm thankful uh, to be here today. I will be continuing, helping to continue your series you're doing through the book of Luke, and later on you're going to get into Acts. And as the video we just watched showed us, we're going to talk about a, a section from within that, that broader section of where you were. But they asked me to introduce myself a little bit, tell you if you don't know who I am. I've been here in the Clovis Fresno area since 2003. I grew up in Santa Cruz, lived around a few different places, lived in Vancouver, Canada for 11 years, San Diego for a few years, and we came here, like I say, 2003 and been here ever since. I've pastored a couple of different churches here in the area, and I'm currently full-time chaplain at one of our local hospitals. So I hope I don't see you there. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> we are, oh, and I almost forgot, uh, personal other stuff also. I've uh, been married to Julianne for 37 years. We have two children, boy-girl twins, Nate and Becca. And this happened two weeks ago. There we go. Got to walk my daughter down the aisle uh, two, two weeks ago yesterday. So we're still riding the high, you know, in our family about that. It was a great day up here at Huntington Lake. So thanks for letting me share that with you. Gives you a little insight there. All right. Well, let's talk about an important section in in the middle of what that video gave us a few moments ago. We're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. Can you, are you ready for the return of Christ? Here is an article that came out 10 months before COVID. All right. This is February 2019. And the headline is 2040, or the year 2040, the world will collapse. MIT computer has confirmed it. So this is, this was BC. This was before COVID, all right? It says a computer program developed at MIT predicts that we will see the end of our civilization in 2040. We must expect the first catastrophes already in 2020. Hmm. MIT researchers originally developed the World One program in 1973. This was all based on a computer program in 1973 to simulate global sustainability. They wanted to see how do we keep things going. Instead, it predicted the end of the world. Oh, my. In uh, a little bit later, a U.S. News and World Report, <clears throat> excuse me, did a survey of adults, and they found two-thirds of adults believe that Jesus will come back to earth. Now, not very many of them believe that he would come back to earth in their lifetime, but people have a general belief that Jesus is coming back again. So let's talk about the end. Let's talk about the return of Christ. And what does it mean to us? We're going to talk about the relevance of what it means to us, too, as we go along through all of this. But I want to ask you to think back on the week you just had. Think back on this last week. And did the second coming of Christ 
enter into your thinking, your your choices, your activity? Did it the second coming of Christ enter into your mind when you got good news? Or if you got bad news? Or how you spent your time? Or how you spent your money? You know, and I'll confess, if it wasn't for the fact that I was prepping for this this morning, I wouldn't have thought a lot about it either. You know, I mean, it does from time to time, but we have to wonder as we look around at the, at the world that we live in, and you have to wonder, God, are you going to come back? Are you going to wrap this all up? I do find myself praying, Lord Jesus, come and wrap it all up. You know, we've suffered enough, haven't we? Well, we're going to be in Luke chapter 21 today. So if you want to take your Bible or your phone out, whatever you're doing, <clears throat> and we're looking at this idea of good news now. And uh, so we'll be looking at some verses, like I said, in Luke 21. And where we are in the grand scheme of things, we're getting to the end of the public ministry of Jesus. And it's right before he he's arrested and has his trial and his crucifixion. OK, so toward the end of his public ministry, he's doing some teaching there in the temple grounds. And he starts talking about the end times. A little more context. In the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled most of those prophecies in his first coming through events that we know about Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. He fulfilled most of those prophecies then. There are some left unfulfilled and they will be fulfilled in his second coming. So Jesus is here now talking about the fact he's going to go away and he will come again. And he's going to explain to, to his disciples how that's going to look. So the passage that we are looking at today is actually the longest answer Jesus ever gave to a question raised to him. He had a lot of questions asked of him. This is the longest answer River recorded that he gave. Uh, this passage is also the passage of Jesus' own words where he's talking about his return. So we're getting this from the source. Right. About what it means, the second coming. So we're going to dive into this. Um, so looking at Luke 21, I want you to go first of all to verse five. And we'll see a, a bit of the setting and the context here of, of why Jesus is talking all about this. So Luke 21, verse five. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Oh, my. So the disciples start wondering, whoa, well, teacher, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? They wanted to know we're, we're going to be looking and and how are we going to know when this happens? So let's go down to verse 20 as Jesus, the first part, he's talking about how terrible it's going to be. Lots of persecution. And then in verse 20, he says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Oh, my. Look down to verse 24. And when this happens, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners out to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What does that mean? What is the phrase times of the of the Gentiles? Well, again, there's there's some debate about that. In fact, there's some debate about everything we're talking about today. Maybe you've noticed there's a bit of a debate about end time speculation. So I want to say we're not being dogmatic about what we're saying, but to the best of my ability, 
and and my understanding of scripture i'm going to try to share with you and shed some light on these topics okay uh i was telling some of the, your leadership team that this last week i went on your your church's website your denominational website to make sure that okay you know we're lining up we're good we're good so i think this is all under the umbrella all right but like most things about end times i don't think we can be dogmatic All right. There's only one way this is playing out and it's my way. I'm not saying that. okay? but I'm trying to explain to you and shed some light the best way I can on all of this. All right. So times of the Gentiles generally is believed to be understood back again. The Old Testament time. God had a nation of Israel. God was they were supposed to be a theocracy. They were supposed to be a light unto the nations. And they weren't that. And over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they repeatedly showed that no matter how gracious God was to them, no matter how he helped them, no matter how many times he conquered their enemies, no matter how many prophets, kings he sent to them, they were, de- they were determined not to follow him. And by the way, we show the same thing every day, right? So, you know, can't be too mad at them. But he finally said, okay, it's enough, and he had Jerusalem destroyed. So in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came, King Nebuchadnezzar, and they tore down the temple, tore down Jerusalem, and 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 tore Israel apart. And that, most people think that's what began the times of the Gentiles. God has now, he's not working through Israel as a nation anymore. He's now, and we're now ushered into the times of the Gentiles. And by the way, if you don't know what Gentiles are, uh, it's easy to understand it this way. If you're Jewish, if you're a Jew, then you're not a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. Okay? That's the way it works. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. Most of you are probably Gentiles. Most of us here, not all, unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? Um, so, God loves Jews and Gentiles. He loves us all. And in Christ, we learn this later in the New Testament, there's only one. There's not Jew and Gentile. We're all one in Christ. Amen, hallelujah. But this is for the times of the Gentiles, all right? That's what I'm trying to explain here. You got it. So from then, and then scripture says, until the end of the tribulation, when Jesus wraps up world history, that finishes the times of the Gentiles. That's been fulfilled. That time has been set. So we're, we are currently in the times of the Gentiles right now. Since Jerusalem was destroyed, 586 BC, up until, and we haven't been through the tribulation. It's not over yet. We may, we may be tribulating <laughs> these days, but it ain't what the great tribulation the Bible talks about. <clears throat> All right. So why are we talking about this? Why am we focusing on this? Out of all the things we're going to be f- talking about, well, Jesus obviously gave a long response to his disciples. Again, the longest answer recorded Jesus ever gave. So it must be important to Jesus because Jesus doesn't want us to miss out. Jesus want, doesn't want us to react to these things the same way that the world's going to react. He wants us to have knowledge ahead of time. He wants us to understand so that we can have peace. And I like to look at it this way. When you see the evidence, and Jesus is going to tell, we're going to look at that. What's the evidence of his coming? Evidence is confidence. That's the point. Evidence is confidence. So when we start to look around, we begin to see the evidence. If it happens in our lifetime, I don't know. But if it happens in our lifetime and we start to see the evidence of that, we can have confidence in what's about to take place. Because we're on the winning team. Hope you know that. All right. So Jesus is saying this evidence that I'm giving to you, this evidence I'm giving to you is 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 confidence for you. That's his point. That's his point. So I encourage you to write some notes as we go through this. Just a few points that we want to make on this. And here's the first one. Number one, you can expect his coming. Yeah, you can expect 
his coming. There we have it up there. Good. So look with me at verse 29 now, please. Jesus told him a parable, as he often did, a story. He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, these things I'm talking about happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. All right, so verse 30, when you see the sprout, sprout starts to, starts to leaf out. What time of year is that? Springtime. What do you know follows spring? Summertime. Exactly. Now, now we're, we're on the other side. We're in the fall, right? But I, I went to my backyard this week and I picked this out. Right? You know what that is? What time of year are we in? What comes after fall? What comes after winter? What comes after that? And on it goes. Right? You know, when you see this, you know. Or in the springtime, when you see a little bud starting, you know. You know what's spring, and you know what's, what's right around the corner. Jesus is saying, when you see things, hello, you know, when you start to see these things I'm talking about, these signs I'm giving you, we're going to look at those, um, you'll know it's right, right at the door. It's really close. It's going to happen really soon, and it's going to happen for sure. So Jesus says, you can expect him to come back again. Look at verse 31, please. <clears throat> he says, when you see these, these, these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. That's, that's the important thing. God is going to establish his kingdom on earth. Now, what is a kingdom? <laughs> Sounds like a simple question. But every time you have a kingdom, you have what? You have a king. That's right. You have a king. And the king is in charge. The king rules. The king reigns, as it were. Right now, the kingdom of God is in here. It's in me. It's in you. The king. Does Jesus reign on this planet right now? No. No. He's not established. Where his kingdom is established is in here. In hearts of people responsive to him who say, yeah, I, Jesus, I recognize you as my savior. I recognize you as king of kings and lord of lords. And I bow my knee, I bow my heart, I bow my will to you, and I want you in my life. I accept you, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead, and one day you'll be coming back, and you're my king, and I want to live for you. I'll follow what you say. You rule in my heart. So now it's in here, but then it's an outside kingdom as well. Right now it's in my heart, eventually it will be in all the earth. Right now it's private, but then it's going to be public. Now it's a spiritual kingdom, but then it's a physical kingdom. In fact, we learn about that from the book of Revelation. If you would turn, please, to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to see about that. You Maybe you've heard the word millennial, the term millennial kingdom. If you're a Star Wars fan, you've heard the term millennium falcon. <laughs> Right? Millennium is a Latin word. It means a thousand. All right? It means a thousand. That's what that comes from. And in the book of Revelation, which is a very, would you agree, it's a very symbolic, figurative book. I mean, it's pretty hard to understand a lot of that. Imagine being John, back thousands of years ago, trying to write about modern airplanes and helicopters and tanks and technology. That'd be really hard. It's very symbolic. But in the middle of a very symbolic book, here we have Revelation 20. Let's read a few verses in here. Verse 1. 
John says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Jump down to verse 7. When the thousand years were over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And now go down to chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Can't wait for that. Won't that be great? But there appears to be this millennial kingdom that Jesus is going to set up. After the time of tribulation, Jesus will come back to earth. There's a... A sequence to this we'll talk about. <clears throat> but Jesus is saying, okay, when you see all these things happening, the kingdom of God is close. The, the physical, external kingdom of God is close when you see this happening. At the hospital where I work, whenever there's a baby born in the hospital, they play a lullaby over the PA system. You know that little tune? Da-da-da, da-da-da. Da 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 Okay, I'm not gonna be on the worship team, but anyway. So every time I play that, everybody, oh how nice, a baby's born, that's really sweet. Well sometimes over the PA system, they'll announce OB stat, maternity room three or whatever, the maternity stat. So oh okay, and then just a few minutes later. Da 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 Oh, they weren't kidding, were they? Well, just like labor pains lead to childbirth, Jesus is saying, these events taking place are going to lead to my coming. So, hello, wake up, be on the alert. Now, back when Jesus was here on planet Earth, he taught his people, he he, um, went to the cross, paid for our sins, was buried, rose again from the dead, and then he, he was here on planet Earth for, for a few weeks until eventually one day he, he ascended back up to heaven. And as he's ascending back up to heaven, his disciples are watching him go when an angel comes and talks to them. In Acts one eleven, he says this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus has been, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. 
That's why we can expect just as Jesus left physically, he's going to come back physically as well. Not just a spiritual kingdom. That's why we think there's going to be a literal kingdom that Jesus sets up. That's his point, to come back physically. He physically departed. He will physically return. You can expect it. Jesus says, you can, when you see the leaves turn, expect it. <clears throat> Here's a second point he made. Number two, you can see his coming. Just as I said, you, people will see him returning. You can see his coming. Verse 25. Let's go back to verse 25. Here's some of these signs. Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now down to verse 32. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. All right, what is Jesus saying here? He says you can see it coming. In verse 25, here are the signs that he sets out. There will be something happening so obvious with the sun and the moon and the stars. It'll be obvious for everyone to see. Those will be signs. On the earth, we have nations, oceans uh, in upheaval. There is terror throughout the land. You know, it could sound a little bit like today. (laughs) I think what we're in is a foretaste of this yet to come. But I don't think we're in that yet. But every generation has had some uh, reason to believe it could be my generation. It could be my generation. Right. But you have nations on edge today. Many people are concerned about climate change and whether it's real or not. There's there's a lot of people upset about and spending billions of dollars about it. There's terrorist activity around the world. So what I want to know is why didn't Jesus explain even more? I wish he'd given a lot more specific detail. And why didn't the disciples then ask for more information to make it more plain? I wish they did that. Well, I think the reason why Jesus didn't explain more and the reason the disciples didn't ask for more information is that the disciples knew what he was talking about. You see, this was not news to the disciples, really. It was common teaching throughout the Old Testament about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 13. This, this, this would have been, frequently would have been talked about in their synagogues every week. Wail for the day of the Lord. There's the phrase, the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Didn't Jesus just say something about people growing faint? Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord, there's our phrase, the day of the Lord is coming. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Oh, my. 
That's the day of the Lord. Well, the disciples knew this. They were expecting it. They wanted it to come. And so they're asking, God, when will this happen? Show us some signs. Tell us more about this. Jesus knew. Look at verse 25 and 26. Says, the people will be in anguish. They'll be perplexed. They won't have answers to what's going on. I mean, people now uh, think, well, we have, we have to do these things in order to save our planet. People are going to faint when this happens. They'll pass out. <laughs> they'll be terrorized by this. And here's why. Because the people will know that these are cataclysmic events that are going on. The way Jesus describes it here in, in the book of Revelation, of course, gives more detail to all of this. Throughout the book of Revelation, you have the seven seals that are broken open, and the, each one of those is another judgment upon mankind. And at the end, then, you have seven trumpets that announce, again, judgment on mankind, on humankind. And it happens so quick, there's such a succession of it, people will know, this is not sustainable, we're out of time. They're going to know the end. Is, they're going to know that the end is near. They're going to know these things. They're going to know this can only lead to one thing, and that's total meltdown, total destruction. It's going to happen in rapid succession. They can't sustain it, and there is nothing they are going to be able to do about it, and they're going to know that. So this is one thing where the doomsday prepper and the climate change alarmist will both be right. On that day, when Jesus comes back and people will faint in terror when that happens. And in verse 27, in the middle of that, it says, Jesus said, they will see the Son of Man coming. Remember, the angel said, just as you're watching, just as you see him physically leaving, you will see him physically returning. You'll see the Son of Man returning. Now, let's talk just a little bit about this phrase, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. The Jews knew exactly what he meant by that because, it's an, again, it's an Old Testament term. Daniel especially talks about that. And, and it was actually Jesus' favorite term to apply to himself. The Son of Man was the Messiah, and he's God. And he's the one to come and to bring salvation to his people. Um, so Jesus loved to refer to that to himself. In fact, it was when Jesus used the phrase to apply to himself. He, was, he said to the, to the Pharisees at his trial... After this, you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great glory. And they tore their robes and they said, what more evidence do we need? This man blasphemes. He's deserving of death. So when he says this, the Son of Man, that's who he's referring to. He's fulfilling prophecy. He fulfilled it then and he'll fulfill it again. The New Testament gives us more details about that. Um, We won't go there right now, but if you want to look in Revelation 19, has more to say about this Son of Man who's coming back to earth. But the world will end and people will be in dread and they won't, their their strength will be gone. Their their energy, their resources will be sapped. So here's kind of a broad sequence, if I can give you a kind of helpful um, context and broad sequence to all of this, all right? When the end comes, there will be destruction. I don't understand all that happens in the heavens. It's going to be bad. The sun won't shine. The moon obviously won't shine either. The stars will lose their light. It's going to be bad. Things, terrible things will happen on the earth. The earth is going to be destroyed. But then the king will come. The son of man will come. And he will instantly make things right for a thousand year kingdom. He'll reign on this earth and will, the devil's going to be chained for a thousand years and we will see just how wonderful living under the kingship of Jesus can be. 
At the end of that thousand years, Satan is released again and he deceives the nations and they gather against the Lord. And that eventually then the, this current earth and heavens is done away with. And then we get a redo. <laughs> God brings out a new heaven and a new earth. And remember that passage I read a moment ago in the book of Revelation? There's no longer any sea. So if you like to go fishing out on the ocean, you better hurry up. You won't get to in the, after with the new heaven and the new earth. So, so who sees it? Who sees when, who's around when all these things happen? Look in verse 32. Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. What does that mean? Is Jesus talking to the disciples? Are they the generation? I mean, that, that's the logical way we would read it. Most likely, right? This this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened, right? Well, there's a few options here that you could choose from, all right? It could mean the disciples, right? If Jesus was talking to the disciples and saying, you, you guys right here will not pass away until all these things happen. If that was true, then Jesus was wrong. Either he knowingly lied or he was just ignorant and didn't have a act together. And, of course, we don't believe either of those things to be true. So this generation could not mean his disciples, his actual physical disciples back in the day. It could mean race. The, this race, uh, the Jews, will not pass away until these things come. Now, it's possible that that term for a generation here sometimes is translated that way. And, in fact, what's interesting about this term, it's, where, it's the root word for we get our word generic. Generic. So it's a generic word <laughs> in that sense. So it's a little hard to pin it down, but it could mean that. Although the Jews didn't really need this promise from Jesus at this point because they already had God's promises in the Old Testament. They were his covenantal people and he, he will not give up on them. So they really didn't need it. While it's possible to mean race, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Some people looked to the events, what happened in 1948, when, when finally, following World War II, after thousands of years of not being in their land, Jews were brought back and given their nation back in 1948. Israel became a state, a nation once again. And so a lot of people said, aha, this generation will be here when all these things happen. So start the clock. I mean, they didn't know the exact hour, but soon, well... Maybe, but if you're, our generation's having to get older and older now. In the Bible, the generation is typically around 40 years, 40, 50 years. And we hit the expiration date on that one a little while ago. You know? So I don't know. <clears throat> I guess it's possible. Some people, obviously a lot of people alive in 1948 are still with us today, so it's possible, I guess. But I think when Jesus said this generation, he means the generation that sees these things. The generation... What did I do? The generation that sees this will see what happens next. Okay, I think that's what he means. That's the most easy way to look at it and understand it. The generation that starts to see when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. Now, that happened in A.D. 70, but with only one army. Okay, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem, destroyed it, uh, broke it down, tore it apart. Armies, plural, that didn't happen yet. These other signs that Jesus talked about, it didn't happen yet. So when those things happen, whatever, whatever that generation is, it could be our generation. It, is it, is it us? Are we that generation? No, at least not yet. Could we be that generation? Yes, we could be. We could be that generation. 
And that would be awesome. But Jesus is saying, the evidence is confidence. When you see the evidence, you'll have confidence that you're the generation that's going to see it all wrap up. Wow. So he wants us to be alert. He wants us to be awake. He wants us to be aware. He wants us to be in the know. Watching and waiting and praying, right? It's kind of like Jesus is saying, when these things, these current events are going on, it's sort of like um, like a movie trailer. You know a movie trailer? Uh, you'll see movie trailers on TV. They were announcing a movie to come. I'll give you a little confession here. <clears throat> There's a trailer out right now for a movie I've been waiting a year to see because when COVID hit, they, they stopped the release of it. James Bond. Oh, man. There's these, these trailers are just teasing me, you know, and getting me so excited. Later on this month, I think they're hitting in theaters. I don't know if I'll go yet or not. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But, but the trailer is great. The movie's even better. Well, Jesus is saying all these things, they're great, but they're real things even better. And you're the ones who are going to see it. The trailer's close. When the trailer hits, the movie's close. When these events hit, the end is near. And so he wants us to be ready for that. Why does he want us to be ready? Because the third point I want to drive home to you here is this, is that you can miss his coming. You can miss it. I don't mean in the sense of that you lose your salvation, but you can be asleep at the wheel when it comes. Look at verses 34, 35. Jesus said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. So Jesus says, you can miss it. Be watchful, be aware, be on the alert. <clears throat> my father, he's not with us anymore, but uh, he used to tell us stories. He, he was in World War II. He served in, in Europe under George Patton. When he first got to Europe, they took this big ship across the Atlantic Ocean. They landed in Scotland. And as they're leaving the ship, his, his CEO comes to him and he says, you're on guard duty tonight. You got to stand guard. Stay here. Make sure nobody gets on the ship, you know, enemy or whatever. So they issue him a rifle. And he said <laughs> the rifle was empty. <laughs> nothing in the rifle. But he stood there, and he liked to joke. He said, nobody got past me. But what would you say of a sentry who falls asleep on watch? Bad sentry. Not good. All kinds of bad things can come from people who aren't alert and awake. Jesus is saying, be on the alert. Be awake. You never know. In verse 34, he says, be careful, or here's what might happen. when all the, if, if you see these events happening and you don't understand the times... Your heart will be weighed down just like everybody else on planet Earth. And you too will go the way that they're going. You too will be weighed down with wasted life, with drunkenness, with anxiety, things of escape. Something's going on with the microphone, isn't it? I don't know. Just me? Okay. Is it time to quit? Is that what it is? <laughs> I'll be done soon. And verse 35 says it's going to be universal. Absolutely all over the whole world. It's not just a little pocket. It's not just North America. It's the whole world. So I put it this way. If you're walking with Christ, you're not be surprised. If you're, if you're walking with the world, you'll be stressed. And Jesus doesn't want us to be of the stressed out world. He wants us to be uh, of his sheep. And here's the last thing. The last point for us is this. Jesus says, you can prepare for his coming. You can be prepared for the coming of Christ. Look at verse 36. 
He says, be always on the watch. That's the way to be prepared and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Verse 37, each day Jesus was teaching in the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Now, isn't that great? We hear of, if you heard the term prepper, some people are preppers. You know what that means? They're preparing for the end of the world. Or some, not necessarily that, they're preparing for emergencies. And that's a good thing. You know, have a flashlight, have emergency equipment, supplies, that's all good. But some people do a little bit. Some people do a lot. Some people are building bunkers in the mountains. They're preppers to one degree or another. I'm a little bit of a prepper. I try to have a you know flashlight and, and, and um, medicines kit and, you know, stuff like that. Christians should be preppers for the return of Christ, being spiritually prepared, having our 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 outlook, our mindset ready for the return of Christ. Because Jesus said in verse 36 here, be always on the watch. Don't be caught by surprise when you or when these things do happen. Don't be so ignorant that that you just fall into the escapism everybody else uses just to just to handle the stress of it all and the terror of it all. Don't be asleep at the wheel. Be discerning. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was talking to the leaders of his day, saying to them, you guys say in the morning, oh, there'll be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Well, you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you are unable to discern the signs of the times. Jesus doesn't want us to be to, to be ignorant of the signs of the times. He wants us to be watching and waiting. So again, verses 37 and 38, the people would come. They would hang on his every word. They got there early. They wanted to get the best seats in the house, I guess. And they listened to all the words of Jesus. People liked to hear Jesus teach. Well, Jesus likes for people to obey his teaching, not just to hear it, but to obey it. Because Jesus knew that the crowd that was in front of him now, they were curious But in just a few days, they would be the crowd that would shout out, crucify, crucify, crucify. So how about you? Are you part of the crowd or are you part of the commitment, the committed people following Jesus? So Jesus is saying there will be signs. Signs will point to the son, the son of man. And the son of man is your salvation. But he's only your salvation if he's your savior. Make sense? You gotta buy in. You gotta be all in. So Jesus says, you can expect my coming. You can see my coming. You can miss my coming. And you can be prepared for my coming. That's what Jesus wants us to be, is to be prepared. Listen to this scripture from 1 Peter chapter 3. The Bible says, but the day of the Lord, there's our phrase, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, 
Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Our Lord's patience means salvation. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And let me end with this. A number of years ago, Queen Elizabeth was coming to America, and she was going to stay at a hotel in Chicago. And so all of Chicago was getting ready, turning out for for the Queen of England to come visit them. And the waterfront area, her her luxury yacht was going going to dock in Chicago. And so that whole waterfront was restored, made to look sparkling new. All the Trash cans and, and, and fire hydrants were painted fresh and the roads were cleaned and there was red carpet ready to be rolled out when Queen Elizabeth arrived in Chicago. They went to one of the famous uh, large hotels there called the Grant, the, the uh, Drake Hotel. They went to the manager and they asked, what are you doing to prepare for the Queen of England? And the manager said this, we are making no plans for the Queen. Our rooms are always ready for royalty. Great response. That's the way Jesus wants us to be. We're just always ready for his return. Jesus is coming. What's happening? Not a problem. I've been looking forward to it. I'm ready. Are you ready? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have ordered and ordained the history of the world toward an appointed end. It's not up to chance. It's not even up to us. And you're working all things together for your will. For history is really his story. And so we thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Father, I pray for anyone here, hearing, hearing my voice, hearing your word to them today. If they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that they would admit they're not perfect. That they have what the Bible calls sin in their lives. They've missed the mark. They don't measure up. I pray that they would, they would recognize that and admit that and say, God, I, I admit I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm in trouble. What do I do? And that they would believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins to pay for all their wrongdoing. But that he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later, later on what we call Easter so that we can have connection and community now. And so I pray that they would choose and say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. I recognize that, that I have fallen and I need a Savior. And I choose you as my Savior today. Father, for those of us who know you, we pray that we would be alert and, and mindful of the times. And we pray that when you come, you'll find us ready. The welcome mat is out. Our hearts are always open to you. And may the kingdom begin with us in our hearts today until the day you live it out here on planet Earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.